But so glad that you're here and really looking forward to what the significance is of this Resurrection Sunday. What does it mean to us? And we've been in a series over the last few weeks called I Am, which is looking at the words of Jesus himself. In the book of John, there are seven I Am statements that Jesus makes about himself. And the first one we looked at is I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, looking at this reality that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Though there are a lot of other religions, a lot of ideologies that want to say all religions are the same, they're just doing things a little differently. The reality is they can't co-mingle together. They don't work together. Only Jesus is the way to heaven. Last week we took a look at how Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And this bread of life is not just for emergencies, not for when you're starving to death, but this life-sustaining, life-giving material that God says, I want to give you from myself. But today I want to take a look at something that Jesus said about himself. And again, to kind of set the picture here, um, if you're familiar with this, this story in Jesus' ministry, Jesus had a really good friend. It was actually a group of friends, a brother and two sisters. And it was Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And, and Lazarus had died. He had gotten sick and Jesus heard about it and people came to him and were like, Jesus, you need to go help your friend. He's dying. And Jesus like, it's going to be okay. God's going to be glorified. So his friend Lazarus dies, right? And so he shows up and he has this little, uh, I don't know, conversation with Martha who's a little frustrated. Lord, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And he speaks to her. This is what we're going to read in John chapter 11, verses 25 to 26. He looks at the midst of their sorrow, in the midst of a funeral, really. They had lost their brother, and he speaks this statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Never. Did you know that you are eternal? Did you know that? There's a part of you. Now you have different ways this can be split up. I, I lend my thinking to what they call the trichotomous view, is that you are body, soul, and spirit. That soul part of you, your body is not going to live forever. Praise Jesus, right? As, as, perf- as perfect as this temple is, right? It's, it's not going to last. That's not, that wasn't a joke. That was, that was serious. I feel like I need cues up here for when to laugh and when to clap. That's, that was like a yes, amen, yeah. Uh, the body is not going to last forever. And even at some point, you know, your spirit inside of you is going to depart from you. This body will be left behind, but your soul at that point is going to enter into eternity. And you are either going to spend eternity with God or apart from God. There, there's no other option. I, I know we kind of lend ourselves to this thinking that maybe there's nothing after death, but we, we see very clearly in Scripture, and, and really, if we're being honest, this is one of the few places that all religions do agree is that we are eternal. There's an, there's an aspect of us that we are eternal, and we are going to spend eternity somewhere. So Jesus speaks to this, and he says, I'm the resurrection. Even for those who have dead, they'll still be alive in me. So my question is, so what? What does that mean? Like, what, what does Jesus' resurrection mean to you? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to your family members or your neighbors or your coworkers or that person who cut you off on State Street this morning at the roundabout? I want to just be very clear. Roundabouts are from the pit of hell. <laughs> they are not from the Lord, okay? <clears throat> but what does it mean for every single one of us? And I, and I want to present you with two very startling realities because there's only one of two ways that we can go with this. The resurrection of Jesus either means nothing or it means everything. 
It either means absolutely nothing or it means everything. It's either going to have significance in your life, it's going to be life-giving, life-changing, life-transforming, or it's going to be something that's just like, oh, you know, whatever, it's just, have I heard about that? This Jesus guy, supposedly a good prophet, good teacher, he died, was rose from, it it can mean nothing to us, but there's really no in-between. And I, and I want to speak to that this morning because there's a reality in this that we have to wrestle with. And I want to first start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. And, and again, to just kind of set the backdrop for this, you know, you've probably heard at some point in your life about Greek philosophy. Ever hear of Greek philosophy? Two of you. Good. That was uh, really kind of the birthplace of modern thinking is this idea of philosophy that's starting to come out. This first time in history where aside from just surviving cognitively, mentally, to start to think about the world and the universe and the order of things. And out of that is birthed Greek philosophy, right? And, and the idea of philosophy. But then it's in that very setting that Paul speaks to the Corinthian church about what they're experiencing. You're seeing all these philosophies, but I want to talk to you about something else. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18-21, he says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him. Can you say never? Come on, say it like you mean it. Like never! Oh, that was good. Good. The world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. He speaks to this group, and he he talks about something I think a lot of us can identify with. The philosophers, the intelligent, the intellect of the day, the great debaters. And and I want to speak to this idea for just a moment because there's a reality behind what Jesus has done that we need to be faced with. There is no great philosophy, there is no great teaching, there is no incredible debater who is going to convince you of what Jesus has done. It's not an ideology, it's not a philosophy, it's a reality. And until that reality takes hold of your heart and your life and becomes very central to the core of who you are, it remains foolishness, just as Paul described it to the Corinthian church. Think about this from a logistic standpoint. Try to stay with me, okay? God creates us. We sin against God, therefore needing punishment. So God sends himself to die to save us from himself. Does that make sense? Right? That doesn't really add up. If I'm thinking logically, why would God need to send himself to die to save us from himself? But that's the message of the gospel, is that we had created a rift between us and God by allowing sin into our lives. All those wicked, terrible things that we do, the lies that we tell, the, the places we go that we shouldn't, things we do that we shouldn't, all of that separating us from God. And God looks upon us, And he sees our brokenness, and he would have had every justifiable reason to just look at that and be like, that seems more like a you problem. But he didn't. He looked at it, and with compassion, he saw what we were going through, and he said, I love you so much. And this is what Pastor Matt shared a moment ago out of John 3.16. It says that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us. 
Now, to the rest of the world, that seems foolish. Have you ever been considered foolish for being a follower of Jesus? People ever look at that and act like that? Oh, wow, another one of those Christians. Another one of those born-agains. Another one of those believers. Right? It seems foolish to the world because we're looking to see and know and understand God through human wisdom. And he says right here, that's never going to be possible. You know, this is spoken of later on in Paul. He's speaking to a young preacher by the name of Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, you can see this kind of warning that he gives to him. And he says, Timothy, I've got to warn you about something that's going to happen. There's going to come a point in time where people understand a knowledge about God, but they don't know Him. They have an understanding, a comprehension that God is the creator of the universe. God is the sustainer of all things, but they don't know him personally. He said it's going to be, it's going to create destruction for the entire world. I've kind of put it this way. Uh, If you don't know this about me, I am a Denver Broncos fan. All right. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's fine. Listen, throughout the football season, we just be praying for each other. Okay. That's all. I'm a Denver Broncos fan. I love Peyton Manning. Loved John Elway back in the day when he used to play. But you know, I have watched Peyton Manning play football many Sunday afternoons and many evenings. Right? Uh, I, if and I got to be honest, if I'm like watching a game and there are commercials and I'm fast forwarding, if Peyton Manning comes on a commercial, I'll stop to watch the Peyton Manning commercial because it's gonna be good. I mean, he's really my, by, the best football actor ever. But, you know, I've seen him so many times. I've watched him so many times. I could rattle off so many stats, and, and I could be like, yeah, I know who Peyton Manning is. I do not know Peyton Manning personally. Me and Peyton, we're not buddies, all right? I don't have his phone number. He doesn't have mine. I can't text him and call him and see how's it going, how's life going lately. We don't have that kind of a connection. The same thing is happening with Christians in their relationship with God. Well, I go to church a lot. I've read the Bible a couple times. I know a few things. I've watched a few things. I've seen a few things. I have a knowledge about who God is. But the reality that comes into this is that it's not the same to know about God when we need to know him personally. Speaking to him personally. Allowing him the opportunity to speak to us. And until such a point in time when that begins to be a part of us, the message of the cross just seems foolish. Why do you give of your time with, with God? Why do you give of your time at your church? Why do you give money to your church? What, what are you, crazy? You could be using that for yourself. Why do you do those things? It's foolish. It's foolish. It remains foolishness until it sinks into our hearts. And this reality that Peter spoke of in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. to he, he gives this statement here, and I, I think we could easily miss what he's saying here. But let's, let's look at it. He says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is excited. Now, I know we read stuff in the Bible, and we read it kind of like with a golf clap voice. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ. He is excited when he reads this. Why? Because he's got an understanding of something amazing that God has done. He's not like, Hey, God's kind of cool. He's like, all the praise to God. Look what he has done. The father of the heavens and the earth, the Lord Jesus, what he has done for us. This is how amazing it is. He says this, it is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Did you hear me this morning? 
God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, because of that, we live with great expectation. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive his salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. I love the way that he paints this picture. Because of what Jesus done, we now are a people with expectation. We are a people with an inheritance. How many of you are expecting that at some point in your lives, a mom or a dad or grandma and grandpa is going to pass and leave you a big inheritance? Yeah. No. No, it's not looking good. Um, there are a few members of my family that I'm pretty sure when they pass, I'm just going to get a bill. <laughs> that, that'll be about the extent of it. No, we're not, we're not expecting that. Um, just coincidentally, I feel like public service announcement. If you do get an email from a long lost uncle who claims that he wants to give you $2 million, he just needs you to send him 2000 to get that money moving. Uh, don't believe that that's not true. That that's a lie. He, he he's not just being generous. This inheritance is something that is imperishable, incorruptible, will not decay, will not ever fall apart, will not ever go away. It's being safeguarded in heaven and warranted by God himself. Guaranteed by God himself because of what Jesus has done. He says, we have an inheritance. What are we inheriting? We inherit the mercy of God. We inherit forgiveness. We inherit grace. We inherit eternity in heaven when we had absolutely no claim to it. And this is kind of a a side story that we can miss as we go through the entire Bible is that when we look back into history, the only people who had any claim to God were the, the, the Jews, the children of Israel. They were God's chosen people. We over here, and I don't know, I don't have any Jewish background in my history, but we had no claim to God. We had no ability to save ourselves. And here's what had happened. God says that he loves us so much that he said, I adopted you into my family. And this idea in biblical terms of what an inheritance represents is so much bigger than what we get. It was everything. You, you know, your, your parents, they own property. It was going to pass on to you. It was going to be your livelihood. And he says, I'm passing on to you what I had for my own children. I'm giving you an equal share of what I was going to give to my chosen people. You have an inheritance because of Jesus. And then he says, you should have expectation because of that. You should have promise because of that. You should have hope because of that. All of these things are wrapped up in what God has done for us and given us the hope through Jesus that we know someday we'll get to be with Him for eternity. He's given us a gift. You know, we we can't save ourselves. Did you ever really stop to think about that? You know, we have a lot of people who come up with this mentality that being a good person is all that God cares about. If you're just a good person, that makes God happy. He's satisfied. I'm I'm a good person. I do good things for people. You know, I'm pretty generous. I've heard people talk about, oh, I got a family member. They would give the shirt off their back to somebody. That's just how good they are. Listen, your goodness does not earn you an inheritance from God. Can you hear me about that this morning? Your goodness, no matter how good you may be, does not earn you an inheritance from God. This imperishable and incorruptible inheritance that he is offering to the world came through the blood of his son Jesus and it has nothing to do with you. The only response, 
The only thing that you can do is to give your life over and surrender and say, God, I receive the inheritance of what you've given for me. I I want it to create an expectation for promise. I want a hope in my life. Listen, we, we look around in the world that we're living in, there's not a whole lot to be hopeful for. There's not a whole lot that you can hang your hat on and be like, you know what, things are going really great in this arena of society. I'm really happy about the direction of where this is headed right now. Go ahead, think of something. There's not a lot of things to be hopeful for. But God says in the middle of all of that, I am your hope. I am your hope, and I want to give you hope. In fact, First Peter, a couple chapters later, in chapter 3, verse 15 to 16, it says that you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Give an answer. What is it that you hope for? What is it that you've placed your trust in? Why are you living like this life isn't all that there is? Why are you living like there's something else after this? It's because Jesus rose from the grave. He walked out of that tomb, and guess what? Not only did he defeat sin and death for himself, he did it for me. He did it for you. He walked out and he said, sin, where is your sting? You can no longer have a claim to my people. Death, you no longer get to have a hold over my people. I have conquered those things. And that's why Paul says that we are now more than conquerors through Christ Jesus because when he raised from the dead, we did too. Golf clap. Right? Because we've heard it a thousand times. We've heard it a thousand times. But here's the reality. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. That question that lingers in our minds, what what does it mean that it's either nothing or it's everything? Listen, I know we're people who love gray area. We're also a people who love to assign value to everything in in our lives. We, We think that we get to choose whether or not something has value. And, and here's the awesome thing about what God has done through, for us through the gift of salvation. You get to decide what it means to you. You get to make the decision. Does the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ mean nothing to me? Or does the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ mean everything to me? Now, I want to warn you against something because Jesus made very clear that he said, there's no partial acceptance here. It's not like you can kind of, sort of. You can't be like, well, I think that's pretty awesome. I kind of like that idea. God says, no, either it means everything, or in reality, you're saying it means nothing. And I want to encourage you this morning that God has given you an inheritance and filled you with hope and filled you with expectation through his son, Jesus, because he's the resurrection and the life. And listen, if you give your heart and your life into the hands of God and say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to be surrendered to you. I want to lay down my selfish desires and everything I would ever dream or hope for myself. And I want to live a life that is glorifying to the creator of heaven. I want Jesus. You make that decision. You become a part of the family of God. And this inheritance becomes yours. Jesus did it for you. And it's more important than anything else that we're ever going to ever grapple with. You know, and this kind of hit me this morning as I was in my prayer time. You know, there have been many notable points in history, days in history, red letter days in history, right? There is no point in history that comes even close to comparison to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no event that has ever taken place 
in all of history, if you took every other historical event and combined them together, it doesn't hold a candle to this one event and how it radically changed the world. We now have hope in Jesus because He conquered sin and death. It's bigger than anything and everything else. It's bigger than anything we'll ever face. And church, I want to challenge you this morning to make a decision. Does it mean everything? Or does it mean nothing? Is God going to be my everything? Or is God just something that I kind of believe in or I've heard about? I have a knowledge. I've been to church a few times. I've read a Bible a few times. I've said a couple prayers in my life. But I don't really know Jesus. I don't really have relationship with Jesus. Church, it makes all the difference in the world and it's really what God has called us to. It's the gift that He gave to us, not for another religion, not for another philosophy, not for another intellectual way in which we can pursue right living. It was for relationship with God through the blood of His Son, Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me? God, there's just something so significant about what You have done for us and we don't always see it for what it's worth. We get a little busy with life and everything that's going on around us. And unfortunately, your resurrection just seems like one thing among many things. But God, I pray that you would just speak so clearly to us as you did even on that day, that you are the resurrection. That life in you is life eternal. That we are eternal and that the decision that we make about whether or not we want to live in relationship with you is going to affect our eternity. God, would you just challenge us right now? There's no halfways. There's no kind ofs or sort ofs when it comes to relationship with you. You are either everything to us or you're nothing. We either have you or we don't. Lord, you died so that we could have all of you. You died and were, and were raised from the dead so that we could have relationship with the Creator of heaven and earth. And God, I pray that we would see the true value and meaning of that incredible gift that you've given for us. That we would take hold of it and see its worth that exceeds anything and everything else in our lives. God, we want to give you our hallelujah. We want to give you our worship. We want to exalt you, God, because you're worthy. And the gift of your son, Jesus, the resurrection, God, I pray that it would change everything in our lives. As we're in prayer this morning and everybody's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, just a moment between you and the Lord. But I want to ask you, maybe you're here today and to you, you could say, you know, the, the resurrection of Jesus hasn't always meant everything to me. I, I know about it. I've heard about it. I understand it. I know it's true or I know it's a reality, but I haven't really truly accepted Jesus into my heart. I haven't really chosen to live for him. If that's you, can I just ask you to slip up a hand? Because I'm going to pray for you this morning. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I want, I want to make a decision to make Jesus my everything. I want my relationship with God to be the most significant thing in my life. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you. Can I ask you to stand as we get ready to close together in prayer?
I want to lead you in a prayer, and, and it really is just the very beginning of what it means to have relationship with God. It's, it's the starting point. It's not the journey. It's not the end. It's just the beginning and where we say, God, I want your love in my life to mean something. I want relationship with you to be significant. I choose you and I want to follow you and lay my, give my life for you. But I want to lead you in this prayer. And, and as you say this, it's, it's your prayer. It's your profession of faith. But I also pray that it would just be the very beginning of what God desires to do in you. So we pray this with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for conquering death and giving me victory in Jesus' name. I ask you to come into my heart and be my everything, to have relationship and to know you for who you are. I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. God, we thank you that through the gift of your son, Jesus, we have access to you. We have access to you in relationship with you, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would never take that for granted, realizing the true worth of this incredible gift, your willingness to suffer and die on the cross for every single one of us so that we could know you and be in relationship with you for eternity. God, I pray that you would be so much more than just the God we've heard of, that we have been to a few services or a few churches or read a few scriptures or said a couple prayers. Lord, I pray that you would become so real in every single heart and life in this room, those watching us online. God, that you would be so real and powerful and true that we wouldn't be able to deny you. God, I pray that you would stir in us and awaken within us that reality that you are everything. You're not just something, Lord. You're everything. And that we want to live for you with all that we are. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And as we celebrate your resurrection today, God, I pray that it would become our resurrection as well. Our victory paid for by the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, our worship or our prayer team will be up here at the front if you'd like some prayer this morning. But I want to encourage you, go out today and celebrate Jesus and offer your inheritance to somebody else who doesn't know him. Lord bless you. Have a wonderful day and give glory to God.